Well, good morning, New Life Church. How we all doing? You look good. You sound good. It's fantastic to be in the presence of the Lord with you. Uh, my name is Daniel Grothy. I, I uh, lead our Friday night congregation here and help at the church at large. And I was, I'm kind of a date guy, like birthdays, anniversaries, dates kind of stick in my mind. And I got up to preach on Friday night and I thought, oh my goodness, this is the day that marks the beginning of our 19th year at New Life Church. So we just started our 19th year and we, uh, I remember driving, uh, I remember driving from Tulsa, Lisa and I were just married 12 days, put everything we had, which was not much, in the back of a Penske truck, drove up I-135, took a left on I-70 in Salina and came into Colorado Springs, pulled up to our new little apartment, and I remember we didn't have anything. Lisa had a car, I didn't. She was a working woman, I was a college grad, so I married up big time. And so we had our one car for a year and a half and had simple life, you know, we're eating ramen noodles and we're happy, you know? And um, I remember my parents, they're like, well, you don't have anything, you should probably take your bed with you. So they gave me my childhood bed to start marriage. I mean, it was just embarrassing how broke we were. But God has been so faithful all these years and we have had the highest highs here at New Life Church and we have walked through the valley of the shadow of death in 19 years here at New Life Church and everywhere in between, God has been faithful and you have been an amazing congregation. I think we're not heroes to be here that long, we're just blessed to be here that long, to raise our kids with you. So can we say thanks be to God for all he's done to be faithful here at New Life Church through the years. This weekend, I'm really feeling it. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Ecclesiastes chapter eight. If you don't have your Bibles, it'll be on the screen. Today I wanna to talk to you about the necessity of joy, the necessity of joy. So what I'll do is I'll read you this text. It's one verse from the old man Solomon, and I'll pray and we'll jump in. So hear the word of the Lord. Solomon says, so I commend the enjoyment of life. Did you hear what he said? I commend the enjoyment of life because there is nothing better for a person under the sun than to eat and to drink and to be glad. Solomon goes on to say, then as you do that, joy, everyone say joy. Joy will accompany them in their toil all the days of the life God has given them under the sun. He says, I commend to you the enjoyment of life. Let's pray. We need you, we need you, we need you, we need you, we need you. If we've come here to be entertained, we are gonna be so disappointed. If we've come here because we had nothing better to do, we'll have missed the point. We came here because we know that when we sing the word of the Lord, when the saints gather, the spirit descends, and when the spirit descends, the room changes. Lord, we've come here because we believe you're the God whose voice thunders. And when you speak, it says that the hills melt like wax at the presence of the Lord. I pray, Lord, that every high thing that stands in the way of us knowing you would be melted down today at the declaration of your word. I pray that every distraction would be silenced today. I pray every crooked place would be made straight and every rough place would be made smooth and every high place would be brought low and every valley would be raised up. And we pray that the glory of the Lord would be revealed here in all the earth and that we would see it together. We pray, Lord, let your word run swiftly. 
We pray these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said. It's summer. It's July 16th. Praise be to the God most high. We live in Colorado Springs. I'm from Tulsa, Oklahoma, and I'll just say upgrade. I mean, Colorado Springs, we live where people pay to vacation. I love Tulsa, Dad. You know that Tulsa, Tulsa boy over here, Tulsa boy right here. 22 years there, but we've been here now coming up, you know, starting our 19th year, and God has blessed us. We live in the promised land. We live where people pay to vacation. It's just a blessing, and I pray you get outside and enjoy the beautiful gift that God has given you here. It's summertime, and it's, I think it's important for us right here at the middle of summer to have this conversation. I, I think it's an important word that we need to hear. It's something that's so important, and it's also something that I think has become a lost art among so many of us, which is the lost art of joy, the necessity of play. The necessity of being re-childliked and, and made fresh and vital and green again. Like God wants to give us the gift of joy. I'll say it this way. We have a responsibility to do everything we can do to enjoy the life that God has given us. We have a responsibility to do everything we can do to enjoy the life that God has given us. Now, preachers, we feel the energy of a room. Worship leaders, we know what's going on in the room. We know when there's a protestation or you, you throw the challenge flag on us. You go, hey, you know, we have a responsibility to enjoy. Do you know what the last nine months of my life have been like? Here's what I want to say at the top. Just hang with me and let this word develop over time. What I'm not saying is that joy is always easy and we can just be happy, clappy, and blessed and highly favored all the time. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that joy is cheap. What I'm saying is we have a responsibility to do everything that we can do to press in, to enter into the gift that God has given us, the gift of joy. Solomon says, I commend it. Think about the old man. Now, this is Grandpa Solomon. He has, in his earlier life, received the monarchy from his father, David, and he's fought wars, and he's heard of rumors of wars, and he's heard about pestilence and famine, and they've, they've had tanking economies during his 40 years of, of sitting on the throne. Solomon is now an old man at the end of his life looking back on those glory days, and he's, he's reflective. Have you ever been on the front porch with a really wise grandpa or grandma, and you're hanging on every word? This is what Solomon's doing right here. He's looking back and he's saying, look, I've paid attention, I've lived life, I've had high highs and I've had low lows, and, and let me tell you what I commend. I commend to you the enjoyment of life because there's nothing better for a person. There, there's very few things that you can control, but whether you're eating ramen noodles or filet mignon, God can give you the gift of joy. You don't have to have deep pockets to have joy. You can go to Sonic and get a, a dollar ice cream cone with the kids and watch them show you the way into joy. It doesn't have to be expensive to have fun, to sit around the table and eat ramen and say, look what the Lord has done. He's blessed us and we're here and we have breath in our lungs and look at Pikes Peak. We're not in Tulsa anymore, Toto. <laughs> Dad, I'm sorry. There's joy for us. And Solomon says, I commend, press into joy. You have the responsibility to receive joy. Now, I think we as Christians need to develop a healthier theology of play. 
all right, pastor, I came here to get the meat of the word of God today. And you and your, I don't want that childlike milk. Give me the word. Give me the meat of the word of God. I came to church to hear the word. What are you talking about? The theology of play. Let me develop for you today a theology. First of all, if you're bothered by a theology of play, you might be the problem. So let me just, that wasn't in my notes, but flag that little asterisk right there. If that bothered you, search your heart. What do you mean theology of play? Read Genesis chapter one and tell me if God is mad. Read Genesis chapter one and tell me if God is dour. The God of the furrowed brow. The God who's just constantly consternated and concerned and sitting on the edge of his seat. The God looking over his shoulder who's about to fall off his throne because that, that Russia-Ukraine thing really caught him off. Tell me if God is concerned when you read Genesis chapter 1. And God saw that it was good. And God saw that it was good. And God saw that, like the Trinitarian God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, is this constant ecstatic celebration, eruption of divine doxology. It's just blessing. God is happy. And then God sort of collects a people for himself and there's Moses and here we go and let's get the story back on track and here are my 10 words. And what does God say to them right away? He says, one seventh of your time, I don't want you doing anything but playing, delighting. If, if, if it's the nap that you need, take the nap. If it's the extra cup of coffee that you need, take the extra cup of coffee. It's a, if, if, it, if it's a walk in the garden in the cool of the day, like God did with Adam and Eve, come on and meet me out in the garden. Like one seventh of your time, God puts a block. He puts a restriction from having to be these overproducing, robotic, miserable creatures. Do you know that in Genesis 1, it says seven times, and he saw that it was good, saw that it was good, saw that it was good. And the word there in the Hebrew for good is tov, T-O-V. But then you turn to Genesis 2, verse 1. This is not in my notes, but I just need to say this. Genesis 2, verse 1, it says, and on the seventh day, God blessed the Sabbath day, and he made it holy. Work was good, 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 awesome, fantastic. God was happy about that. On the seventh day, the word was not tov. The seventh day, the word was kadosh. The Sabbath is holy. Work is good. Rest is holy. And if you just work, 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 the thing that was supposed to be good actually becomes contaminated and will kill you. But if you'll do really good work for six days and then receive the gift of God's rest, the gift of God's play, the gift of God's delight, the gift of God saying, it's okay. Then you can receive the holiness of time. Friends, we need a better theology of play. Jesus comes along. And all the people like me, the people who do my job, the religious leaders, they were just angry at Jesus. You know what they called him? They called him a drunkard and a glutton. Like, stop for just a second and ask yourself, what kind of life do you have to live? This is the perfect son of God who never sinned. His, his ambitions were never wrong. His motivations were never wrong. Jesus never, he, he didn't, he was perfect. And yet they called him a drunkard and a glutton. I need to ask, what kind of life do you have to be living to be accused of being a drunkard and a glutton? At least Jesus was known to be a man of deep joy. One New Testament theologian says, after reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you want a summary of the gospels? You want a summary of the ministry of Jesus? He says it this way, three things. He says, Jesus was either at a dinner party, 
he was going to a dinner party or he was leaving a dinner party. That's the summary of the gospels. And along the way, he's healing the sick and raising the dead and having a great time and casting out demons and, and, and strengthening the poor. But it was always in the context of a party. He's a drunkard and he's a glutton that Jesus is having too much fun. That was what the religious leaders were bothered about. Ancient Israel even let their fields rest. Every seven years, they would leave an entire field and they would say, don't sow it, let it grow up, let it lie fallow, don't touch that. Why? Because there's abundance in God's world. We need to even let the land rest. John Egan is starting a sabbatical today who just let us. John is just beginning his 23rd year here at New Life Church. Give it up for John Egan, right? Leading us and calling us to worship. He just finished his last set of worship and after communion today, he's gonna to go put on shorts and some, some sandals. He's gonna go play golf. He said, I'm playing golf and sandals just to signal to myself that I'm entering into new space, right? He deserves that sabbatical and God says, I love you so much, I don't need you to produce anything right now. Just have fun. We as the church need a healthier theology of play. Can you say yes and amen? Thank you very much for that very tepid response. Where else do you see play in the Bible? You see it with the animals. You see it with the creatures. You see it with nature. Uh, scripture, it, do this little test. Take two pages anywhere in the Bible. Take two pages and read two pages and tell me if there are not animals, creatures, the creation on that page just giving praise to God or God delighting in those animals and creatures. Psalm 104, the psalmist erupts with, with, with this praise and he's talking about the creatures. He says, how many are your works, O Lord? In wisdom you made them all. The earth is full of your what? Okay, church. I don't know if you know this, we're a Pentecostal charismatic church. We believe that God speaks. The earth is full of all of your Okay, thank you, I appreciate that. The earth is full of all of your creatures. And there is the sea, vast and spacious, teeming with creatures beyond number, living things both large and small. And then the psalmist says, there the ships go to and fro. They didn't know at that point that 70% of this spinning rock that we live on is water, just the, the waves just <sighs> non-stop, but they understood the mystery, how small they were when they considered how big and beautiful God's world is. And he says, there the ships go to and fro. And even Leviathan, Leviathan for them was the, the, the ancient creature of the underworld, the large fish, whatever it was out there, every culture and every place on the earth near water understood that there were creatures out there that could destroy you. And they understood Leviathan to be that dark and mysterious leader of the underworld. Even Leviathan, which you formed to frolic in the ocean. They picture Leviathan out there like a little kid playing in the water frolicking in creation. We need a better theology of play. And God plays, his creation is wild and vivid and unexpected and lively and bright. I just wanna show you one picture today. I wanna to introduce you to the blobfish. I mean, good Lord, you just look like you caught grandpa. Throw him back, ah, oh my God. I mean, imagine catching this and screaming, what in the world, get it out of here, right? Every time someone has ever caught a blobfish, God is in heaven cackling. <laughs> you can't look around and, and tell me that God is not happy. If you can't see the humor of God, I'm not sure I can help you. 
humans, we are meant to play. This is why we are just so excited about sport. Here in another few months, you guys will come, many of you will come to church with your orange on and you'll just be excited. You'll know what time kickoff's going and you've got the Traeger going back home and you can't wait for Pastor Brady or someone to say amen so you can leave, so you can go sit and yell at a plasma screen and scream and scare the kids and you're so happy unless they lose and then you're miserable for three days. Why do we care about sport so much? Because God made us to play. God made us to rejoice. God made us to be childlike. Zechariah, the ancient prophet of Israel, he would have lived in a time when his people had been ripped off into exile. They lost the holy land. They were now living in a foreign country and there was, there was famine and pestilence and the economy had tanked and these people were miserable. But the prophet Zechariah could see even through the cross 700 years before Jesus would hang on the tree in Jerusalem, Zechariah's over here on the timeline and he sees past the cross and he sees to the great day of the Lord when all will be made right, when there will be no more sickness or suffering or mourning or death or harm or war or rumor of war. Zechariah imagines what it will be like when God has made all things new. And what does he say? He could say a million things about what the great day of the Lord will be like. What does Zechariah say? He says, the city streets will be filled with boys and girls playing there. Not on the great day of the Lord, all of our enemies will have been subjugated and the geopolitical situation will have been sorted out. And finally, there's not anything about throne. On the great day of the Lord, the streets will be filled with boys and girls playing there. We need to develop a better theology of play. We need to recover the necessity of joy in our lives. And sadly, Christians have historically not been thought of as the most joyful lot. H.L. Mencken, a social critic and a columnist and kind of a satirist, he, he was commenting on Christians. He said, Puritans, referring to serious-minded Christians, are people who have a deep foreboding fear that somebody somewhere might be having a good time. <laughs> the happy police. <laughs> Jesus, he's a drunkard and a glutton. He's having too much fun. And everyone settle down. Christians. Concerned that people, somebody, somewhere might be having too much fun. Uh, Frederick Nietzsche, the, you know, not a, an exactly charitable read of Christians, but here's what he said about Christians. He said, Christians have no joy. Now, again, these are two people who, who are looking at the church uncharitably, trying to find fault with us, and I understand that. But let me just tell on myself, I can say that there have been times in my life where I've had long stretches of near joylessness. Have you ever lived on edge, furrowed brow, concerned, worked up, uh, joyless, and it just drains the life out of you. And I'll say to you that joylessness in the kingdom of God, I, I'm just gonna take courage here and say this, joylessness in the kingdom of God is a self-inflicted wound. It's like having the pantry full and the refrigerator full and sitting at the table and dying of starvation. 
I just wish that the world is going to hell in a handbasket. I just wish we could get a Christian in the White House. Joylessness. You're sitting at the table wishing God would give you a meal and the pantry and the the refrigerator are full. Joylessness in the kingdom of God is a self-inflicted wound. And Solomon said it. He said, I commend to you joy. And he's got deep pockets. At the point of his life, he was the richest man on the earth. And Jesus commended it to us. And he is a homeless, vagabond, itinerant preacher running around the dusty roads of Palestine. It's not that you can have joy just if you have deep pockets like Solomon. Jesus, who had very very little foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the son of man had no place to lay his head. Jesus was irrepressibly happy. Joylessness in the kingdom of God is a self-inflicted wound. Joy is available. The pantry is full. Will we eat up? Friends, we need to recover a better theology of joy. Thanks, mom. Appreciate that clap. Appreciate that golf clap, mom. How do we learn? How do we, how do we learn? We got 10 minutes, okay? 10 minutes. I'm gonna, I promise we'll treat you right. How do we learn joy? Jesus tells us that children are uniquely qualified to show us the way into joy. Children are uniquely qualified. Children, babies, ones who just don't have to worry about paying a mortgage and ones who just come down in the morning and they go, yeah, there's food here. Take care of me. Children just go, take care of me. <laughs> children are uniquely qualified to show us the way into joy. Jesus in Matthew 19 said, then people brought the little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and to pray for them. But the disciples, everyone get it under control. Your kid's crying in church. I need you to go to the nursing mother's room and just excuse yourself because we can't hear the word of the Lord with that baby. It's called life. Get over it. Just get over it. I think a loud church is a sign of a living church, a vibrant church, a church that's going to exist when we are in the grave. I'm happy with it. Let the kids, let the kids just play. If Zechariah says that the kingdom of coming looks like kids playing in the streets, they might as well learn to play in church, right? The disciples rebuked him, shut up. And Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. Why don't, you, why don't you waste some of your time and money putting on a youth conference for 22 years and it's so exhausting and it's so expensive. Jesus says, let them come and scholarship the heck out of them and give them your credit card so that no one goes home without a hoodie if they want a hoodie, right? Like Jesus says, let them come and do not hinder them. Why? For the kingdom of heaven belongs to the babies. Jesus is passionate about this. Matthew 18, the chapter before, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Jesus, you know, we should really talk about this. Jesus, who's the greatest? (coughs) Who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, Jesus? And the 12, the disciples, they were talking, assuming that the answer lie right there in that little small circle of 12 because, you know, they're competing about who gave up the most to follow Jesus. Jesus, you know that I left my family's multi-million dollar fishing business. You saw me that day on the shore, the Sea of Galilee. I was out there, I was working. The silver spoon had been handed to me. All I had to do was plug and play the formula that my ancestors had put in front of me and I had it all taken care of. And then you come interrupting my life and you say, hey, if you want to deny yourself, come up and follow me, leave your nets and I'll teach you to be fishers of men. And you saw me dive in the Sea of Galilee and swim and I've been with you for three years. Master, let's, let's have a conversation. 
who's the greatest? Who gave up the most? Who needs the plaudits right now? Who needs the pat on the back? Go, let's have the conversation. And Jesus goes, okay, you wanna talk about who's the greatest? And Jesus called a little child to him and he placed the child among them and he said, truly I tell you, unless you change. The other word there is repent. Unless you repent, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says, therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. It occurs to me, you know, parents are called to disciple and raise up and train their children. And very often there's correction that's involved in that. And we're not just their best friends and, and you know, free range, do whatever you want. That's, no, we're supposed to correct and disciple and train and raise our kids up. But as I've been thinking about my correction of my children in thinking about a theology of joy, very often I think my correction is just me trying to get, to get my kids to stop being kids. Can I tattle on myself? Hey, can everyone, let's be quiet. Anyone ever said that? You have a full day at work and you, know, you, you officiate a funeral in the day and there's stress and you go to the hospital and there's trauma and all this stuff and you come to the dinner table and you're trying to just be a, a non-anxious presence at the dinner table. I, I, I am a terrible non-anxious presence on certain days and my kids are just being kids. They're just following Jesus's orders to be joyful and to play and they're either at a dinner party or going to a dinner party or leaving a dinner party and they just want me to take care of them and I'm trying to get the room under control and I call that like correction. No, that's just you growing old and joyless, Daniel. I'll tell you that I'm not the best at this all the time. I'm not standing up here as a hero. I'm standing up here as someone who has heard the words of Solomon and heard the words of Jesus. And I'm, I'm trying, I'm trying. I want joy. You know, the most beautiful people on the planet for me are people in their 80s and 90s who are innocent and clean and pure and funny and lively and witty and happy. And they've got a countenance that radiates the long decades of the glory of God washing over them. I want to show up at that age and be like that. And it's possible. Jesus says, watch the babies. Learn from the kids. Let them disciple you. Parents, it's not just you discipling them, it's them discipling you. And us as parents being humble enough to receive that kind of discipleship from our children who are uniquely qualified to take us into joy. I'm preaching better than you're shouting, as they say in the South, right? <laughs> Solomon, I'm, I'm getting close to the end. Solomon, Proverbs 17, 22. I grew up singing this song as a little kid. My dad would sit at the piano and plunk it out. Just a little kid's song from children's church. A merry heart doeth good like a medicine. Anyone know that song? Anyone? There's like three Christians in here. Okay, very good. Okay, cool. Great. They're like, no, we just didn't grow up in a crazy place like you. Uh, a merry heart doeth good like a medicine. Look, a merry heart over here. It's like medicine. It's like your body healing itself from the inside out. It's like God actually wants to give you a gift called joy. And when you laugh, it's like that spring of living water that flows up from the depths of your being. Jesus says he calls that the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the gift of God's joy within us. He says, a merry heart doeth good like a medicine, but he juxtaposes it. He says, but a broken spirit dries up the bones. 
You want to collapse from the inside out? You want to do some kind of life implosion? Let your spirit get dried up and then your bones will dry up following suit. Solomon says a merry heart is like medicine. A broken spirit dries up the bones. And I'll say to you, it would make sense that the enemy would try to come and steal our joy. It would make sense because why? The prophet Nehemiah, I'm coming to a close, Nehemiah, they had just rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem. They had been destroyed. They had been taken into another bout of exile. They finally come back home, 52 days of working with a tool in one hand and a sword in the other. They've got uh, marauding armies coming to destroy them as they were trying to rebuild Jerusalem. And they finally got the walls sealed up and they hung the gates and the doors and it's done. And you know what Nehemiah does not do? He does not call the legislative assembly to come and get the constitution back together. You know what he does? He calls the people of God and he throws a dinner party. A dinner party. What what does Nehemiah know that we need to know? That Jesus knew at a dinner party, going to one or leaving a dinner party. And he says this, on the day when Israel was brought back together, he says, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks. I don't think he was talking about little Capri Suns. Go enjoy, you know, have a nice little, uh, you know, elementary baseball party. Like, go and enjoy, like, make the filet mignon, go for it, have a great time around the table. And then he says, and send some to those who have nothing prepared. He doesn't say, if you can have filet mignon, don't worry about it if other people are going hungry. He says, no, if God has filled your pantry and you know of someone who's got an empty pantry, fill theirs up and make sure everyone can party together. Do you see why we give tithes and offerings? So that those of us who have a pantry full, who have a bank account full, can make it so that those who are lacking make it to the meal. So Nehemiah says this, go to the next part of the verse. He says, this day is holy to our Lord and do not grieve. He's not saying that they don't have stuff to grieve about. There've been wars, there've been deaths. They're coming back home, they've been unsettled. He says, but don't stay there. Don't let doom and despair become your inheritance. Do not grieve, why? For the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Not the concern about the future of our nation is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Not living over anxious and living with, looking over your shoulder and worried about circling the wagon so that I can have what I need if the world goes to hell. That is not strength. That will actually make you very weak. The joy of the Lord is your strength. So here's my challenge this week. I'm gonna get as practical as I can. If you have young children, ask them what you need to do to receive joy. I do this. Every once in a while I do this, and I asked my boys this week, it was a couple weeks ago, I said, what do we need to do to have joy? And they said, we need to go to the arcade. I said, who's paying for that, huh? Huh, who's paying for that? And we went right over there to the arcade and I threw $50 down the toilet. And it was the best $50 I've spent in a year. Because my racing boys are racing in there, their adrenaline's flowing. And you know what? 10 minutes in, I was a little kid again. If you have little kids, ask them what you need to do to receive joy. 
Some of you, you're, you're single, you've got a roommate or whatever. What, I'll ask you this, what brings you to life? I'm a music guy. I love music. I've played music my whole life. I love jazz and big band. I heard Harry Connick was coming at Christmas, right, with his Christmas tour. And I called John and Paige Egan and Lisa and I said, I'm buying the tickets. Like, uh, either you can come or you, you won't come, but I'm going to this concert. If I'm by myself with three seats next to me, I'm going to this concert. And we spent some money on that concert. I have been so excited since December 3rd listening to Harry. There's something about being re being re-childlike. So I'll ask you, what brings you back to life? Will you press into that? Solomon says, I commend to you the enjoyment of life. Because there's very little that a person can control, but you can sit down and you can eat and you can drink and you can be merry and you can talk with the people that you love and you can look them in the eyes and you can tell old family stories and you can laugh yourself silly. And if you do, you will show up at the end of life and the joy of the Lord will be your strength. Friends, I'm here today to call you back to childlike joy. Can you say amen today? Would you stand with me, church? Now you're waking up. Okay, all right. I forgive you. Would you open your hands right here? I want to take a moment. I've sensed that we needed to turn this little moment into a prayer meeting. Where do you need the joy? Would you ask the Lord to restore to you the joy of your salvation? Would you ask the Lord to make you childlike again? Would you ask the Lord to keep you over the long decades, not just get you by, but bring you through with fullness of life? Can you ask the Lord for joy right now? Lord, we're asking. Let me, let me just add this to you. Some of you are thinking about aging parents across the country and you're concerned about them and you're 700 miles away and you wonder how. Would you just begin to speak joy over them today? Some of you, maybe you are grandparents and you've got teenage grandchildren and you've watched the last few years be difficult for them and you've seen kind of a heaviness settle over them. Would you just begin to release joy over your people? Speak people's names today in the presence of God and speak joy and blessing and shalom and wholeness over them. Church, would you just pray with me for two more minutes? This isn't a spectator sport. I'm not here to do the work for you. I'm here to pray with you. Lord, we ask, that in our homes there would be joy. Where we lay our head at night, whether it's the apartment, whether it's the dorm room, whether it's the home, wherever we lay our heads, I pray that our homes would be filled with the glory of God. Lord, we pray that we would be known as a congregation. When people see us, they go, they're just, they're, they're happy. They're vibrant. Is, has life been easy all the time? No, but they're happy. Lord, I pray that we would carry the joy of the Lord into Colorado Springs and into the Pikes Peak region. I pray that we would carry the joy of the Lord into the workplace tomorrow morning. I pray that we would carry the joy of the Lord everywhere we go and that we would not be joyless Christians. That's just what I ask. Help us to eat a great meal and not sit at the table and starve to death with a pantry that's full. The joy of the Lord will be our strength. And all God's people said, amen. I wanna invite our communion servers to come down.
If you're new with us, we receive communion on a weekly basis. And what we do is we go out to the right and come through the room. And if you're not able to physically get through the room, no sweat, tap your neighbor, they'll bring you an extra. But what we're gonna do is we're gonna worship the Lord here right now. And I want, as we worship, I want you to just ask him, give me my joy back. Give me my song back. Give me my playback. You come through here, get your communion elements, go to your seat, hold it there, and I'll come back in just a minute and we'll receive. Let's worship the Lord as we come through for communion.